So, Christmas has started, right? It seems like the day after Thanksgiving or sometimes before Thanksgiving is when it begins. I know it's time for Christmas when every radio station in my car, because of my wife, is on that 24-hour <laughs> Christmas carol. It's, it's delightful. <laughs> uh, we were working last night, or she was working on her stuff, and I was working on some other stuff, and we had Christmas carols on in the background. It was like, yeah, it's Christmas time. The lights are here. The smells are here. We begin to sense a change in the weather. Has anyone noticed it's gotten colder lately? It's the change of the season is occurring. We now have lights in here. The swoop has to be at the right angle. I was informed today. I did not know. Uh, sorry about that. If it's off and it's bugging you, come at 7 a.m. next week and you can fix it. <laughs> but it's that time of year where we start to see signs that Christmas is here. It's the time of year, if you start paying attention a little bit, you start to see that there is a lot of Jesus metaphor in the world and not even in the church. People are singing Christmas songs like Silent Night, Holy Night, and they have no idea that they're actually singing about the birth of our Savior. You start to sense these things all around us, and, and it's a tough time of year for many. This is a lonely time of year for a lot of people, and it's one of these times of year where you have the paradox of loneliness and families, and it just, it gets hard. And so it's a time for us to look out for our friends, look out for our community. We see someone having a hard time, come alongside of them. It's a time that we have trouble oftentimes seeing God move, even though he is in this presence in every conversation about Christmas. It's sometimes hard for us to see God in this time of year. The busyness, the family drama, in-laws in town, in-laws leaving town, going to visit in-laws, uh, situations at work, year-end things. It's hard to see God sometimes during the, in the midst of all of this. And today we're going to look at two people in Scripture, Zechariah and Mary in Luke chapter 1. How they were in the middle of this impossible situation in their lives. They were in first century Israel. They were under the boot of the Roman Empire. It had been 400 years since anything had come from God. Old Testament ends, 400 years, Luke begins, and they're not expecting any kind of message or any kind of messiahship, even though they were longing for it. And what happens when you begin to wait that long is your doubts begin to creep in, right? Have you ever waited for something for a long time and your hopes and your dreams were on this and every time you get closer, you think it's the one, it's not, and your doubts get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and a little bit bigger. This is where we find Mary and Zechariah in this passage, both in the waiting, but both wrestling with doubt. And we all wrestle with doubt, do we not? Especially in waiting. Zechariah had, had a major doubts, but what we find with Zechariah was that his, the doubts were not the end of his story. The doubts were a part of his story. And if you read with me in Luke chapter one, verse five, it was the time of Herod, the king of Judea. And what Luke is doing in this passage is he's chronicling everything that had happened in the life of Jesus. And then he continues everything that happened after Jesus had risen and went up to heaven. 
in the book of Acts. So this is the first volume of Acts. It's Acts, Acts part one. We just call it Luke. Acts part two is Acts. And so Theophilus is the guy that Luke is writing to. Theophilus is rumored to be a judge in Paul's trial. And so Luke is writing this story, this narrative of what happened. And it says, in the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were very old. We can probably safely assume that these two prayed and prayed and prayed for God to move and bring them a child. There are uh, many people who have prayed that prayer here and in our church and in our communities. We were familiar with that aching, but it doesn't have to be for children. Many of us have prayed and prayed and prayed for God to move in specific situations in our lives. And we've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And now you're getting advanced in years, like it says here. And the answer hasn't come. And like we said before, when that answer doesn't come, what comes instead? Doubt. Major, major doubt. As if God would never work in a time or a place anymore. And so this is where... Elizabeth and Zechariah are. Zechariah is a priest. He's, he's part of the rotation. They're both from the priestly line of Aaron. Aaron goes back to Exodus. They're both from that line. They're priestly. They're devout Jews. They do everything right. They have a prayer life. It, they're blameless. They follow the commands and the decrees. Everything they do is right. But... What they've been praying for hasn't come true yet. It shows us that you could do everything right according to the list, and still there always is that but. It's a big but. <laughs> Sorry. But there's, there's always that. Every once in a while, I go junior high, and I see that, and <laughs> I apologize. You could do everything right, and there's always that big, yeah, but it's not happening. This is where they find, this is where they find themselves. Zechariah, a priest, appointed every so often to go into the inner parts of the temple by himself with the rope tied onto his leg to put incense on the altar. He's probably prayed that prayer a billion times inside the very temple. And it's here amongst his ordinary duties of his life where God meets him in the most likely place, but gives him a very unlikely message. I say it's likely because where he stands in a few sentences is merely three feet away from where the presence of God is said to be, the holy of holies. And he's sitting right by the altar of incense. Sometimes our ordinary everyday duties provide for us a backdrop for God to move in extraordinary ways. Look what happens in verse 9. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all, assembled, all the assembled worshipers were outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. The angel said to him, 
Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. Great news, right? You would think you'd be excited. Finally, prayers are answered. This is what we've been hoping for. Where Zechariah is standing, right in the presence of God, this is the place where you would expect something to happen. But what's Zechariah's response? How? This is in verse 18. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is along in years. Listen, dude, you're standing in the presence of God. There's an angel standing in front of you named Gabriel. And your first response is, nah, I don't get it. I don't see it happening. Zechariah had been waiting for so long that his doubts turned into fear. And all of a sudden, Gabriel is right there in his face. And what does he say? It can't happen. Why? Because he's old and his wife is well along in years. That's the proper way to say that your wife is old too, by the way. She's well along, I'm old. This is Zechariah doubting, but who is he doubting? He's doubting that God can actually do this. He's been waiting for a long time. When you wait for a long time, you have your your hopes brought up and you have your hopes dashed and crashed down. And he's probably tired of having his hopes disappoint him. And when you're afraid and you don't want to be disappointed, what do you usually do? You guard yourself. You pull yourself back. You don't give yourself away. You, you, you tend not to hope. And when you tend not to hope, you become cynical because it's a lot easier to be cynical than it is to be hurt again. And so Zechariah has moved from hopeful and faithful and his doubts kept pushing him to the side even more and more and more. And now he's gotten to the point where I'm going to go in here and I'm going to worship God. I'm going to burn the incense like I'm supposed to, but nothing like this is ever going to happen. I'm going to go through the motions of faith, but I'm going to allow my doubt to keep me in my cynicism and it's not going to allow me to live a life of faith. Do you see where he's standing? He's standing in cynicism. Gabriel's response is classic. Uh, I, I love what he says. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of the Lord, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. In other words, I think Gabriel's saying, "Um, look around, bro, you see where I am? I'm Gabriel, I'm an angel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to you. Why do you need another sign? It's funny, when, when I find myself over here in the cynic's corner, I need signs, I need to be hit in the head with a brick in order for things to make sense for me. Zechariah was hit in the head with a couple of bricks. He's in the presence of God. An angel, Gabriel, stands in the presence of God, constantly delivers him a message, and he's still doubting. How many of us have been there? Carrie and I were there. Uh, we spent years of our marriage, probably the first four to five years of our marriage, floating over here in cynicism that nothing would ever happen, that God would never move. I was between jobs a lot. 
uh, fired, let go, however you want to say it, downsized, uh, going through school. It just, it never seemed right. Always applying for something, interview after interview, no job to come from, from it. Carrie was in a job that was slowly sucking the soul out of her. Both of us gripped in fear of what was going to happen, but both of us leaning towards cynicism that nothing would ever happen. We started to think because of our cynicism, did we do something wrong? I did a lot of dumb things in college and high school. Is this God getting back at me? Uh, did I, is, is this some kind of judgment? Is this a product of the fallen world that we're stuck on this side and we don't think God can move because we've out his coverage? Is this what's happening? And so we found ourselves doubting that God would ever move. So I'd go on job interviews and be like, yeah, okay, maybe, <laughs> doubt it. God will move, okay. We'll say things like that. But when it came down to it, we never really believed that God would move. And our cynicism prod us over here because of our doubts, and we never saw God move because we didn't let him move. Your doubts are okay. Doubts are fine. Doubts are good. Healthy doubt is biblical. Jesus sitting in the garden of Gethsemane praying that there's another way that we could go through with this crucifixion because he knew it was going to hurt. Doubt is fine. Jesus did it. But when your doubts draw you all the way over here to cynicism, your doubt becomes an unhealthy doubt. Your doubt, when you have it, should bring you to lean in a little bit closer to expecting what God can do. And it's easier to say that than it is to do it. Your doubts should draw you more into Christ. Ask your questions of God. Don't allow your doubts to push you away. We see what happens to Zechariah because of his doubts. In verse 20, he's asking for a sign and then the, the angel says this, and now here's your sign, you will be silent. You will not be able to speak until any of this happens because you do not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. We ask for a sign, but when we get a sign, we don't believe it. Zechariah wanted a sign. He got a sign, an angel, and he didn't believe it. And so God took away his voice and said, I'm going to take away this, and you're going, and this is me interpreting a little bit what's in here. This is God saying to Zechariah, because you're going to have no voice, you're going to have to believe me on this one. Zechariah knew the stories. He knew what the Bible had said about women becoming pregnant when they weren't really supposed to. Abraham and Sarah advanced in years. Abraham was old. Uh, they had a baby, Isaac. They were there. And then there was Samuel, his mom hoping, her name was Hannah, hoping that she could have a, a child, praying day and night in the temple, weeping that she would have a child. The priest came to her because they thought she was drunk. And she said, no, I'm just praying. Samson was born of a barren woman in Judges 13. We see God moving all and on, but the cynicism and doubt says that God can't move here. How many of us find ourselves in that cynicism today? 
What would it look like or what would have to happen in you to move from that cynicism, which is an easy way, to hope? Was it, is it going to come to a place where God's going to have to take your voice and say, stop talking about this and watch me? Because we can know the stories, we can know the answers, but until we start believing the answers and when the sign comes saying, God, I know you can do this even though I don't understand it, then we can have hope. What is it going to take you to get to that side of it? When Carrie and I were in that cynicism place, it took quite a bit. It took some friends coming alongside of me, smacking me, not literally, well, one did, but it took us a lot to be able to hope again. It took a lot of healing to be able to hope again. It took baby steps of trying to not be hurt or trying to step out in the face of our hurts. Doubts are fine. God can handle each and every one of your doubts. But what he can't handle is if you let that doubt reign and stop him from working in the midst of that situation. Zacharias, his doubt stopped God from working in that situation. There's another one in this passage. We're going to look at Mary, too, who had the same type of encounter and a little bit of doubt, but the way she framed her doubt was different. It happened six months later. Gabriel was sent to deliver another message. This one was a little bit more complicated. In verse 27, Gabriel was sent to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at at his words. You think Gabriel had fun scaring people? (laughs) Side note, anyway. um, Anytime he shows up, it's always, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. He's like, boo. Um, Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kinds of greetings this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him a throne, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Zechariah was waiting, he and his wife Elizabeth, praying for a miracle. Mary was also waiting She wasn't necessarily waiting for a a child. She was waiting like every Jewish person for a Messiah. They knew and believed that it would come. And Mary was chosen to be that person to bring it in. Both of these conversations are similar. They're both waiting for something to happen. And they were both the last person to ever think that God was going to use them. They weren't on the top of that list and especially use them by having another baby. However, these same type of conversations give us a different response. Mary's response in verse 34 says, how will this be, she said to the angel, because I'm a virgin. You see the difference. Zechariah's response was, I need a sign. 
I need, I need, some, I need some tangible proof here in order for me to believe you. I, I need to be able to say we're going to have it because I'm tired of being disappointed. I need a sign. Mary's response is, okay, how's this going to work out? Mary's doubt isn't in God where Zechariah had his doubt. Mary's doubt is in her ability to do it. Do you see the difference in doubting there? Mary, though they didn't know what we know about how kids come to be, she, they didn't know X and Y chromosomes and all the science that goes into making babies. They knew that you had to do a couple things in order for babies to be made. And she's known that she hasn't done that. And so she's looking at a more logistic part. I'm a virgin. How is this going to work out? She doubts herself. It's a nuanced difference, but it's a difference. Are you doubting God or are you doubting you? How is it going to work out? That phrase, she was greatly troubled, uh, it means that she's perplexed. She's confused. She didn't know what kind of greeting this was. I don't, she's basically wondering if Gabriel got the right address. Are you supposed to be here or are you supposed to be three doors down? Where are you going to be with this? She wasn't afraid of what she was being asked to do. Zechariah was gripped with fear. Mary was a little bit confused. Zechariah, who should expect a vision in that place, was caught off guard by it. Mary wasn't. She knew that God was going to make a move sometimes. The angel responds to her, here's how it's going to work. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and called the Son of God. Mary's sitting over here doubting herself. And what's the response? You're going to have a little help here. The Holy Spirit is going to push you in this direction. You're going to be empowered. The Holy Spirit will indwell you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So she's surrounded. It's not really her that's going to be doing this. It's God working in and through her. God himself will surround her in power. God's power from the outside along with the spirit working within her would result in things being done that even she thought was unthinkable. He calls her in the most unlikely place and says, I'm going to work in this. In Judges 6, there's a story of Gideon. Uh, and, and his calling is sort of similar to what we see here. There was doubt that Gideon was the right person for the job. Gideon was threshing wheat or wine uh, in a wheat threshing area because they were hiding wine from the Midianites. Midianites. They would come and steal the wine. It must have been good wine. But he's threshing wine in this place. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appeals in Judges 6 and said, when the angel of the Lord appeared Gideon, to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's response, pardon me, my Lord? I love that. Gideon's threshing wine. He's stomping grapes. And then the God comes and visits him and says, mighty warrior. And he's like, no. <laughs> what? Pardon me, Gideon replied. 
And then he names his doubts. If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up into this land, out of Egypt? But now it seems like the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Mary was probably feeling something very similar. She has the same type of ache for Israel to be made whole again. God comes to her through Gabriel and says, we're going to use you. He doesn't call her a mighty warrior. He says, you're favored. God's going to work through you. The call of Gideon continues. The Lord turned to him and said, go in strength you have Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord? Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Do you see the parallels in them? The most unlikely person has just a little bit of faith. And God uses them to do this mighty, extraordinary thing. Mary has doubt, but she has faith through her doubts. Gideon, pardon me? Me? Are you sure about this? How, how am I going to be used in this way? Both of them learn a lesson that you and I would be very wise to learn. That God uses the extremely ordinary things in our lives to do the extremely extraordinary things for his kingdom. Mary and Gideon don't think that they're good enough to do what God has called them to do. And as it turns out, it seems that God has more faith in Mary and Gideon than Gideon and Mary have in themselves. He's gifted them, he's called them, and now they have to work through their doubt, not in God, but in themselves to accomplish what God wants to do through them. I'm going to brag about my wife here. Uh, she uh, doesn't have a relationship with her mother. And so the idea of her becoming a mom was terrifying. If you would have told her a few years ago that she's going to have a one-year-old right now and love being a mother, she would have laughed at you because that's something that scared her. She never thought that she could do it. And I watch her every day, and she's doing incredible at it. Her and Judah have this connection that I'm jealous of. I know I'll get my turn when he's two or three, but it's, it's fine. But she thought that she would never be a mom or a good one. But when the time came, she is. There's another thing that she's doing. She's starting a business, and she never thought that she would be one to start a business. She'd always been one to say, I'm not this great, at, I'm not good at doing this kind of thing. Or when it gets hard, she wants to quit. But she has these gifts that people around her kept speaking. You have these gifts, Carrie, use them. So the doubts were in herself. 
God has saying, come on, you can do this. I need you to have some faith here. Now she has a business. She's a therapist. She has, she sees clients and she's loving it. There are times where God calls you to these places or these challenges or these causes and you think that you can't do it. But the fact that God is calling you to do it should tell you that yes, you can do this. You might feel far too ordinary to do it but God uses the ordinary people to do some very extraordinary things. Our faith needs a response. It's easy to say that you have faith and just sit there and say, I have faith. But your faith should be calling you to do things. Your faith should get you in trouble sometimes. We're all called to be doing something but our doubts can either push us away because we have doubt in that God can do it or our doubts push us away because we don't think that we can do it. And today you might find yourself in one of those two places. Will God do this? Is it too impossible of a situation? Is, is, is it too broken? Is there too much pain here? Can God do this? The answer is yes. Can God work through a situation that you think he's completely void and absent of? The answer is yes. Look at Mary, look at Zechariah. Look in scriptures. All the way through the Old Testament, you see impossible situation after impossible situation. Sarah and Abraham, David against Goliath. More and more you see God moving through the impossible. We have your doubts, that's okay. Lean into them. Step forward with your doubts and say, I have this doubt. I'm going to watch God meet me in this doubt. Or do you stand on this side where you have less faith in you than you can ever imagine? You think you're worthless. You think that you can't do anything for the kingdom. You've sinned too much. You've outsinned the coverage. You, you have God's judgment. You're worthless. You've messed up. You're not gifted. You have a family history that keeps you back. And so you say, I'm just going to sit here on the sidelines and watch everybody else do this. That's not the place to be either. God calls the most unqualified people and qualifies them and says, you're going to do this. People like Gideon, threshing wine, being called a mighty warrior. David, the one who's the last in his family to ever be thought of, his dad even forgot who he was. He becomes king. Mary, a virgin, is going to give birth to the Messiah. Jesus calls 12 misfits to be his disciples. He calls one guy named Paul who murdered Christians to spread the church throughout the known world. All of these people were the last people to ever think that would ever do anything, and God uses them. And so your doubts do things to you. They push you forward or they hold you back. Today, allow your doubts to push you forward. My dad used to have a saying around Christmas time. He would go into the garage and he would start building our 
gift or whatever he was doing, and he would come out and he would cl- close the garage behind him and he would lock the door, like, like we couldn't unlock it and go in there, but it was his way of saying, this is secret. And then he would look at us and say, your eyes are gonna pop out on, on, on Christmas day. Just wait till you see this. And he would always, he even said it last year, your eyes are going to pop out when you see what is happening here. And I, I think of that, and I think of our theme sight, I think of this season, and all the doubts that we have, and I think that God is saying to all of us, me included, when you see what I'm capable of, when you see what God says you're capable of, and you start living into this, your eyes are gonna pop out, because you won't believe how far you've gotten. I hope that we have faith to see that this season. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you call the least qualified people to do the most extraordinary things. You gift us, you surround us, you overshadow us, you indwell us, and you push us forward to do some amazing things for you. And then we look back and go, wow, look what God did. And Lord, we have doubts. And I confess to you, I have my doubts. Lord, I give them to you. And I ask you to work through them. And Lord, I can't imagine the doubts that are in this room. Uh, But Lord, I ask you to work in those doubts. That in those doubts, we would lean into you. Instead of becoming cynical, we would become hopeful. And then when hope hurts, we would hope a little bit more that you can work in impossible situations. And it might not look like how we expected, but you work in the impossible. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you're faithful. And may our faith match that. We thank you that you believe in us more than we believe in us. And may we borrow your belief and move to where we are called. It's in your name we pray.